Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is another teaching for our Become Like Jesus class, and we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath. It's uh, one of my favorite topics, and I feel like I'm saying that about every every discipline. But uh, so for the record, my top three favorite are fasting, Sabbath, and simplicity. I like all of them, but those are probably my favorite. Uh, and I'm so pumped that we're at least having this conversation about keeping the Sabbath as a church family. I think it's one of the most countercultural practices that we could do in our day and age. Very simply, right out of the gate, Sabbath is a 24-hour period where we seek to do four things. We stop from all work, the jobs that we're paid to do, and all the work or jobs that we are unpaid, you know, the work of being a human, uh, like cooking and laundry and all that. And then we rest, we delight, and we worship. I know that's might be a lot to remember, but all four of those aspects, I think, are pretty crucial for a good Sabbath. And Sabbath was meant to be a gift to you. Man was not made for the Sabbath, Jesus tells us, but Sabbath was made for man. It's something that God gave us. Now, biblically, there's a lot of debate about the degree of weight that Sabbath should carry, because uh, unlike silence and solitude, uh, or even, you know, scripture, um, Sabbath made the fourth commandment, it made, made the Ten Commandments, it is number four, uh, and in some sense, it's in its own category in a lot of ways, because of all the practices, it's in the Ten Commandments, but then the way the New Testament talks about Sabbath is different from the way the New Testament talks about the other nine commandments. So there's a, a lot of interesting nuance and levels there or whatever. But nevertheless, we should give, give serious consideration to the fact that this particular spiritual discipline is in the t- Ten Commandments, you know, like right up there with worshiping God alone, not murdering or committing adultery, and, you know, keep the Sabbath holy. Bam. You know, rarely people in church brag about murder or adultery or idolatry, I guess. But I feel like I almost always hear people talking about how busy they are. And of course, you know, it comes like a complaint. But let's be real, you know, we, we can like to flaunt how important we are and how in demand we are, how capable we are, how much fun we're having. Uh, you know, what's the standard reply? Hey, man, how was your week? Busy. But Corey Ten Boom famously said, if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. It's a pretty piercing quote, uh, but I think it's true because being bad and being busy have the same net effect on our souls. They, They cut us off from deep fellowship with our Father in heaven. Statistically, we in the U.S., we work more on average than almost any other country in the world. Hundreds of an hours a year, more than Japan even, uh, the UK, Germany, the list goes on and on. So it feels like we're in this space where we have some relatively weighty biblical issue, reality teachings of the Sabbath on one hand in a culture, like the air we breathe, the water we swim in if we were fish, that's just one of busyness and hurry, where busyness is like a badge of honor. So I think this is a pretty important uh, practice or discipline for us to consider. Today we're going to look at the biblical reality of the Sabbath for a minute and then get into some practical aspects of keeping the Sabbath as a spiritual discipline, particular practices or ways to form your practice of the Sabbath. 
Uh, it is different than just, you know, working until we crash and then binging Netflix or whatever. The Bible teaches us that two words for thinking about the biblical teachings uh, on Sabbath is that it's a rhythm and it's a form of resistance. Rhythm and resistance. So let's look at the rhythm part. Starting uh, at the beginning, Genesis 2, 1 through 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Guys, do you hear that? God rested. This is really mind-blowing. God rested. I mean, what, what can we say to that? What situation trumps this? Oh, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like to have little kids. God rested. You don't understand. I run my own business. I'm, a, I'm an executive. People depend on me. God rested. Well, you know, the way I'm wired and my personality, I'm just more of a doer and I'm extroverted and you know, I'm not into legalism. God rested. Or maybe a little closer home for me. Like, I, I'm a pastor. I'm a church leader. All these people depend on me for spiritual things. God rested. Consider everything on God's plate. Like, he created everything and sustains everything, and yet he rested. It'd be super fun to take a deep dive into what the Hebrew word here for rest means and how it plays out throughout the Old Testament. Maybe we can get our, you know, biblical scholar Joel Armstrong to do that or whatever. But suffice it to say, God didn't rest because he was tired or because he was burnt out and just crashed after the six days of creation. Rather, it, the word in Hebrew brings to mind that that sweet feeling you get on like the first warm day, the first warm Saturday in springtime where you're outside working on your yard, cleaning up from winter, planting flowers, getting your garden going, you know, that first mowing of the lawn, a fresh cut grass smell. And at the end of the day, as the sun sets, you sit down on the porch and look out over what you've done and just breathe deep and rest satisfied. That's kind of the idea. It says, verse 3 of Genesis 2 says, And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God blessed the seventh day, and he wove into the fabric of the universe this rhythm of work and rest. And that is a key idea regarding Sabbath. It, it comes from the creation order, the way God designed the world to function pre-sin. This is before the fall of creation. Rest is not a result of sin. It, it's not a result of sin or weakness or anything. It's part of the perfect creation order. Six days of work, one day of rest. It's just reality. It's, it's fabric of the universe woven into the very core of what it means to be human. And history and research prove this in mind-blowing ways. The last time there was a widespread, like, society-wide effort to change the six-in-one rhythm was during the French Revolution, where they tried to move to a 10-day work week to be more productive. Classic, you know, early enlightenment, you know, indomitable human spirit type of move. And it was a disaster. Suicide, mental illness went through the roof, and society became less productive despite working more with fewer days off. On a weekly level, study after study shows that human productivity and quality of work pretty much drops off a cliff after 50 or 55 hours, which is about six days of work. That means for all our bravado about I work 80, 90 hours a week, the odds are 25 to 30 of those hours 
contribute very little to your productivity. This is the idea behind, you know, Cal Newport's deep work concept where he talks about how much more he produces on fewer hours because he rests and he works hard when he is working. Because this six-in-one rhythm is so deeply ingrained in the universe, we neglect it to our own peril. Like if we neglect the reality of gravity, it's going to go bad for us if we, you know, jump off a cliff. Many, I've heard say, would say that Sabbath will come for you one way or the other. Either we rest intentionally, setting up our lives so that we have a, a day to stop, delight, rest, and worship, or we will be forced to have a Sabbath by illness, burnout, mental breakdown, divorce, major dysfunction in our lives. Whereas on the flip side, on a positive note, studies show, and this is crazy, that Seventh-day Adventists, who are majorly into the Sabbath, live 11 years longer than the average lifespan, which is generally how long 80 years of weekly Sabbaths add up to. Isn't that crazy? Of course, it's difficult, you know, all the scientists out there, it's difficult to prove causation here, but it, it's worth being curious about and even asking the question uh, whether or not for every day that we Sabbath, you know, quote-unquote, don't get anything done, we might get it added back to our lives. So now let's look at two passages of Scripture um, that show us uh, the, the commands of the Sabbath, and one of them kind of builds into this theme of Sabbath as rhythm, and then the other one shows us Sabbath as resistance. The first time that Sabbath is commanded is in Exodus 20, in the aforementioned Ten Commandments. In the context of it, God's people had just been released from slavery in Egypt for 400 years, where they'd been required to work as slaves seven days a week, a subhuman existence. Now they're no longer slaves, they're free, and they need to learn a new way to live, not one of slaves, but as beloved children of God. The second time the Sabbath is commanded is in Deuteronomy 5, which in the timeline takes place about 40 years after Exodus. In Deuteronomy, it literally means second law. Deutero, you know, means second, and namas means law. And the second command of the Sabbath is to the children of the folks who had heard the first version, who had been in, sla who'd been in slavery and heard the first version, and it's being given to children of slaves who had not experienced slavery like their parents had. So the, the commands are very simpler, but they have a slightly different emphasis, their emphases. The first one is more of a call to that, right, back to the foundational rhythm of Sabbath, one that they've been kept from. And the second one to their their children is a call to Sabbath as a resistance to the way of the world. So I think there are two helpful categories, Sabbath as a rhythm in the creation order and Sabbath as a resistance to the status quo of the world. The hurry, the greed, the indulgence, the busyness, the overwork, that slavery, uh, which is what we are all in apart from Jesus, tends to lead people into rhythm and resistance. So let's look at these two commandments, starting with the, the rhythm one in Exodus 20. It says, in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath, Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. They're very similar with some key differences. In Exodus 20, it ends, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. This is getting at the rhythm that God put in place when he created the world. And because he did it and put that rhythm in place, it says, Therefore, he blessed it. It's part of a sacred rhythm. The Deuteronomy version ends with that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Emphasis on letting the servants rest alongside God's people and that they are to remember that they as a people were slaves in Egypt who were unable to rest ever. And remember, God brought them out of slavery and it ends with a therefore, but it's it's a different therefore. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. It's a little more of a stiff ending because the Israelites were now in a place of freedom where gaining luxuries and money and whatnot was possible. So God is abundantly clear that they are commanded to keep the Sabbath holy. The first version of the Sabbath command was to a people fresh out of slavery, not used to any type of material comfort or wealth or even freedom to choose. The second version of the Sabbath command was to people who grew up free and were in a cultural moment where the accumulation of wealth, comfort, status, approval, accomplishment, significance were all possible. These are all things that the world says that we need to chase after. And the message of the gospel is that all of our comfort, security, approval, significance are not found in what we do, what we have, what other people say about us, but in God's gospel word over our lives that in Christ we are his sons and daughters. He loves us. He's pleased with us. So practicing the Sabbath is one way that we can, with our time, our energy, our bodies, embrace this gospel identity that we have as sons and daughters. And it's also the way, a practical way, not the way, a practical way that we resist the messaging of the world to do more, buy more, be more, have more, experience more, and to simply soak in God's word of love over us. We resist the lie that we are human doings embrace the reality that we are human beings. Sabbath as resistance is so beautiful. Uh, it's, it's so good to wage war against the little g gods uh, of the world. We don't have to work to earn money. We don't work to get people to like us. We don't have to work to make ourselves feel secure. You know, like anyone else feel insecure in your job if like you're not always pushing and cranking and stuff. And I think I have FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Uh, I have that sometimes, but I also, sometimes I have this term probably won't stick, but I have fog bib, fear of getting bit in the butt. Like if I'm not doing something, it's going to come back to, to bite me, to, to hurt me. And so Sabbath is a way that we embrace the truth that we're secure in the loving hands of our father who spoke the swirling galaxies into existence and knows each of the billions of stars by name. 
a common part of Sabbathing is not to buy or sell anything. Like it's not like a hard and fast rule, but like it's a good principle to try to incorporate into your Sabbath. You know, maybe you go out to eat or whatnot, but you know, no shopping or no selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace or whatever. Just taking a break from economic activity is a way we resist, you know, the general premise that we are what we consume or we are what we produce. We are not fundamentally economic units, but we're children of God. So Sabbath as resistance helps us make sense of some of the feelings of withdrawal that we might experience when we do stop and rest and worship and delight. And don't check our phones or go buy stuff or get anything done. Uh, it's going to be like re re revealing parts of where like the world's priorities have gotten deep into our souls and need to be rooted out. When you feel the, the butt, butt, butts rise up, you know, when you unplug and let parts of your job go, uh, you can just remember God's word over your life. You are my daughter, whom I love, and I'm pleased with you. You are my son, whom I love, and I am pleased with you. Now, let's get practical for a minute about some of the ways that we can practice the discipline of Sabbath. First, by saying two things that Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not anti-work. Again, I just want to over-communicate. I feel like we have a lot of, you know, gunners in our class. And Sabbath stems from that six-in-one rhythm. Six days are for work and one day of rest. That's the ratio. Sabbath is by no means against work. Using our gifts, joining God in the redemption of all things. A theology of work is just as crucial as a theology of rest. You really can't have one without the other. So if you're hearing stuff about the Sabbath and you're just full of butts, you know, but, 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 we got to work. We got to use our gifts. We, you're absolutely right. And if you're not working and you're not being faithful to contribute to society, work quietly with your hands, have something to offer those in need, we cannot use the Sabbath uh, as an excuse, you know, to, to stay on your butt and not do something. Uh, but honestly, I haven't met any of those type of people at Redemption City. The second thing about the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath is not just a day off. You know, it's not just a day where you don't go into the office or I guess down to the basement now to work from home. Uh, you might rake some leaves, pay some bills, watch a movie, get caught up in laundry, you know, maybe check your email, your Slack channels or something. That's a day off. And Eugene Peterson calls that, if you'll excuse the language, a bastard Sabbath. It's kind of rest, kind of work, not a clear intention, you know, to quiet our hearts and minds and just enjoy God in his world. Which brings me to the first practical thing about the Sabbath. If you're going to Sabbath, it will require you to live the six other days differently, specifically that day off of paid work that is not your Sabbath. What I'm saying is this, you will probably have to do less the other days, figure out time to do the necessary work of cooking, food, doing laundry, mowing the lawn, house repair, paying bills, all that stuff before the Sabbath. Mercifully, most of us, I think, have a five-day work week. And that's good. That means we can use our one non-job day to get stuff done, just the stuff of life, you know, and still be able to Sabbath. To say it another way, we typically can't just effortlessly stumble into a meaningful Sabbath. It takes preparation. In Jewish tradition, they Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. Friday, they call it the day of preparation. It was a space that the whole community had to prepare, to, to really, truly, fully rest so prepping food, getting work done, responding to needs as much as possible because when the sun set on Friday, boom, Shabbat Shalom, it's time to stop and rest. So consider, you know, with your spouse, your roommate, whoever's Sabbathing with you, 
what you might need to do to prepare to unplug and rest. You know, you, you, you respond to emails, you pay bills, return phone calls, you know, schedule hangouts for your Sabbaths. You don't have to mess with plans, you know, trying to figure out what to do, prep, prep food, you know, all that kind of stuff. Clean up the house, laundry, you know, you know how to live your life. Do that stuff that will just have it done out of the way will make Sabbath more relaxing. Yeah, at one point, Camille and I actually had like a Sabbath preparation list hanging on our fridge. And so we could add to it and just both be on the same page as we got closer to Sabbath. But even with the best preparation, there's still going to be things that do not get done and let them go. That's part of the discipline of the Sabbath. It's part of rehearsing the truth that we believe that God's in control. It doesn't depend on me. And let the Sabbath, you know, carry some weight or even authority, to use a bad word in our, in our culture, to adjust our doing to the Sabbath and not the Sabbath to our doing. So uh, explore a 24-hour period that you think will work for you. I'd encourage you to try doing the sundown to sundown rhythm that we see, you know, the Israelites doing, Jewish people doing. It's traditional, but it's also pretty practical because it gives you some space on each, like, calendar day to take care of stuff. You know, you might prep Saturday, Sabbath, Saturday evening into Sunday evening, and then, you know, come back online and, you know, get ready for the work week or something like that. But of course, you know, maybe doing it all day Sunday would be best for you. Or, you know, maybe you have shift work, so your schedule changes. And so kind of you got to map out your Sabbath each much each month when you get the schedule based on what shift you're on or whatever. Uh, the third practical thing is to think like a kid. This helps answer the question, what do I do on Sabbath? Like if I'm not getting stuff done, what do I do? And so think like a kid, like what makes you feel young and free and joyful? Like taking a nap, going for a hike, exploring somewhere. You know, I work in an office, so I love to find some like purely elective, non-mandatory work with my hands, like gardening or I could something where I could just be like present to building or doing something. Like there was a Sabbath a while ago where I started building a busy board with... Uh, for my kids because, you know, it wasn't like no one was waiting on me to do. It was like unclogging a toilet, something really pressing. And I had a table saw that I borrowed from a friend that I wanted to play with. Uh, Camille and I discovered that most Sabbaths, we don't like to cook. We don't want to do the dishes and all that. Uh, we we feel free and like kids to just have our food handed to us. So we either prep food ahead of time or order out. Um, one of our sweetest Sabbath memories was during the, the quarantine back in 2020, you know, we, we budgeted to get the to-go, like, four-person chicken dinner from Sovangarden. They were doing, like, to-go orders only. And it was awesome. It was delicious food, and we'd ride our bikes through the spring Sunday uh, and pick it up and ride, ride home and stuff. So it was great for us. But, you know, I know cooking can be fun for folks, taking your time to kind of play in the kitchen and cook up a great meal, then eat it uh, to the delicious glory of God. That's all great. You know, you can kind of experiment with it. It's funny to say, but the discipline of Sabbath will take a lot of practice. The key is to just pay attention to your soul, what makes you uh, makes you able to delight and rest and be present to, to God, to others around you, to your body. And the last practical thing I'll say is to consider turning off your phone for the entire 24-hour Sabbath. Nothing works against your ability to be present, unstressed, unhurried, like a kid, uh, like our phones do. And it might take a lot of preparation to unplug, you know, like print out recipes or directions or schedule things with friends before 
the day of or order food ahead of time, you know, whatever. It's like, it, it's kind of a fun strategy to see like, what do I need to do to not need my phone for 24 hours? But in my experience, nothing will make you feel more like a kid than being phoneless, you know, just being contentedly present to your life and God. Sabbath is a gift. It's made for us. It's modeled for us by God himself. And I believe it has so much treasure to offer our souls. But give yourself lots of space to practice because it's actually kind of hard to do if you haven't done it before. And uh, if you haven't explored having fun for a few years and you're addicted to busyness in your phone, so give it lots of time. If you try something on a Sabbath and it doesn't work out, don't worry. There's another one coming in six days, six more days. Just try again. If you don't get to Sabbath one week, like there's no guilt or shame. Just pick it up the next week. And of course, parents, especially with young kids, we're, we're, you do the best you can. We're trying to figure it out ourselves. Like Sabbath can be very tricky. You can't just like tell your kids not to need to eat or have their diapers changed because you're Sabbathing. But do your best. Ask for help. Get to get breaks, give each other breaks if you can, and just enjoy unhurried time with those precious little Sabbath-killing blessings. So that's it for Sabbath. Let me just end with a word from our king. Uh, to close, I look forward to talking about this stuff with you on Wednesday night. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.